If you have your own story of being in a cult or a high control group, or if you've had experience with manipulation or abuse of power that you'd like to share, leave us a message on our hotline number at 347-86-TRUST. That's 347-868-7878. Or shoot us an email at trustmepod at gmail.com. Trust me. Dude, you trust me. Trust me. I'm like a smart person. I've never lied to you. I never have lied to you. You think that one person has all the answers? Don't. Welcome to Trust Me. No. Welcome to Trust Me, the podcast about cults, extreme belief, and abuse of power from two gals who've actually experienced it. I am Lola Blanc. And I'm Megan Elizabeth. And we both grew up believing in cult leaders of some kind. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're going to talk to my mother. We're going to talk about our Mormon offshoot cult leader we both believed in who claimed that he was the one true prophet, of course, translating the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon and how we were chosen by God to help him in the last days. We will also talk about how he separated us from each other and how my mother was sex trafficked. Trigger warning, there will be some descriptions of sex trafficking. So if that's not something you want to hear about, skip this one. And if it is something you want to hear about, seek help. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Megan... Why don't you tell us about your cult so people know who they're dealing with here? Oh, you know, well, my cult, super intense, um, couldn't cut my hair, Oh, couldn't wear pants. I got to go to school in really long jean skirts. Uh, we couldn't watch TV or movies. If I wanted to go to a movie, my parents would say, is that where you want to be when Jesus comes back to the earth? Wow. And I'd be like, ugh. No. (laughs) So I'd like sit at home and my friends would be at the movie and I'd be like, God, I hope Jesus comes back to the earth and they all go to hell. (laughs) Wow. I'd be so mad and jealous. Um, That's kind of mean, right? But whatever. It's just, I was seven. That was kind of my my cult. What's your cult like? Uh, My cult is interesting because my cult is basically, well, it was a three-person cult, but it has grown since. And we will talk more about that later because our guest today is my mother who was the reason that I believed in this cult leader. She was not the reason, but together we believed in this cult leader, and it was an offshoot of Mormonism. How big is it now? Uh, Dozens? I have heard they're buying up property in an apartment complex in Utah, and I think it's dozens. That's how it starts. That's how Scientology, like, just started by buying like a storage unit i'm making that up but the property right you know like you just start small and then all of a sudden you own like a city yeah you make people give you their money right and then (laughs) you can buy as much as you want because you have so much of other people's money so what is normal mormonism like Great question. Normal Mormonism, well, it's Christianity, but there's an extra book called the Book of Mormon. And basically, you know, they believe in this guy who translated scriptures from an angel in the 1800s. And uh, then the true church was finally brought back to earth. And it's just like, you have to get married in the temple. And in order to go to the temple, you have to be temple worthy. So you tell your bishop everything, kind of like Catholic confession a little oh. bit. Oh, like they they do um, baptism for the dead Oh, in the temple. You start doing that from age 12, I think. Um, yeah, you go and get baptized and they have the names of a bunch of people who are dead. And you're basically like baptizing ghosts. <laughs> oh. So they can choose to accept it or not. That's insane. I mean, you know, sex is is really a really bad sin. There's a lot of guilt in the religion because of that. And um, 
But otherwise, it's like, you know, a lot of really nice people who just believe in this like thing. Okay. Okay, so we are going to be doing a weekly segment on this podcast where we talk about the cultiest thing that happened to us each week, and we'll talk about what we experienced or participated in that just felt a little bit extreme or a little culty. But this week in particular, there just happens to be some really culty stuff happening in the news. Cult news. This week we have some pretty interesting cult news because we have Small Bill. Small Bill? Small Bill. (laughs) I love that show. <laughs> Smallville actress, Allison Mack. Allison Mack. Yeah, she's in some serious trouble. She's pleading guilty to, what are the charges? Like, racketeering. Uh, sex s- trafficking? S- sex trafficking. Child pornography. I still haven't wrapped my head around Wait, that, that was that was Keith, though, the leader, her leader, right? Okay, if anyone doesn't know, this is a sex... If you don't know, I don't know what you're doing and why you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> There's a whole HBO docuseries about it called The Vow. It is not out at the time of recording, so we're just going off news articles right now. But basically, it was a sex cult in Albany, New York, um, in which they were branding women's bodies and we'll probably do an entire episode on it later on. But it was headed by a man named Keith Ranieri, who, incidentally, I knew growing up, and so did my mother, and we can talk more about that later. What? <laughs> Is he alluring in some way? Is he charismatic? Because I've been looking at pictures of him all day, wondering how he has all these women being his sex slaves. And they're all, like, like heiresses and... They're super rich and yeah. they're beautiful. Why? He's such a weirdo. I, I I was probably nine, so I don't know. I or ten or eleven, but uh, I really liked him at the time. He taught me um, the word <laughs> word word thing that goes one one smart fellow he felt smart. Two smart fellows they both felt smart, and it would trick me into saying smelled smelled fart. Oh wow! This funny. is my memory of Keith Raniere, the sex cult leader. <laughs> Should, if we like, if we like a guy, should we just determine that he's probably a cult leader? If we think he's yes. Nice? If anyone thinks he's charming or charismatic in any way, he's definitely minimum sociopath. <laughs> probably a cult leader. If you're talking to a man who you find charming, scream cult leader, <laughs> mace him and, and run. Only like uncharismatic nerds for me who yeah. don't know how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. She pleaded guilty. Pled. Pled, pled guilty, pled sobbing guilty. in court. Sobbing in court. And some people think that she was faking it. I mean, she's an actress on Small Bill. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite show. Uh, I personally have I have differing beliefs on this because she was under the spell of this very charming, charismatic man. Yeah, I, I'm going to take the opposite side of you, I think. I, I'm totally anti her. I think she's so sick in the head, just as sick as him. Like... Well, I don't know, man. I was watching some of those videos of her and I just like everything that she was saying, like she believed it. It seemed like she believed it so fucking hard. And there are, I mean, we will get into this, but I just think people, the whole thing about cult is that people end up doing things that they would never, ever do in their normal life. And they totally like, they compromise their own morals. They like become someone that they would never have imagined that they become. And it happens slowly over time because this person has such strong influence over them. So I buy that somebody would do horrible things or things that they would never do otherwise. And then like snap out of it and be like, oh my God, what the fuck have I done with my life? I've been branding <laughs> women's bodies. Like, she had slaves. And having slaves. That part is a little That's extreme. That's crazy. She had slaves, you it, know? Like I understand... Uh, 
one of the main things we want to talk about is just the bias against people who are in cults or who, what, whatever, like yeah. as being dumb, I guess, is the, like... Dumb, naive, uh, yeah. gullible, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is not true, because literally anyone can join a cult at any time, and the, the less you think you're susceptible, the more susceptible you are, because mm-hmm. you don't have your defenses up. Yep, yep. So, I don't really know where I was going with that, but you guys, it was brilliant. So just, <laughs> that's my point. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's really, really crazy that she had slaves and that she was basically tricking women into sleeping with him and it's true it's true but i i just always think about the chain of power and the chain of influence and yeah. who who is at the top of that and in this case it was him although you think about wild wild country did you watch wild wild country of course and sheila sheila in uh, that scenario that's seemed what totally she, like the she power seems like a sheila to me she seems like a sheila to me so maybe but she is i mean the fact that she's saying she's sobbing and saying that it's wrong sheila never did that sheila's still saying oh my god like, sheila oh, stuck she, to her guns yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> she <laughs> love sheila she's a badass <laughs> um yeah so i i guess we'll see how it goes but she's she might be like indicted for 20 years i mean that makes sense that's fair yeah so, you know, she'll probably not serve all of it. I'm so curious to just hear the like inner workings of that story, especially knowing the connections that my family has to him. Um, I can't wait to hear all about this. <laughs> I mean, this isn't this is not the cult that we were talking about today, but we just happen to know the guy from this cult. So you're so lucky. You know, so many multiple cult leaders. <laughs> It's my thing. <laughs> it's really my mom's thing. We'll talk to her about that. Okay, should we introduce her? Absolutely. All right, everybody. This is Christine, my mother. Hey. <laughs> Uh, my mom is an amazing person. She has been through a lot, and now she is getting her PhD in media psychology. Um, she also runs a. She formed. What do you call it? She formed. Founded. Founded a charity. Is that the word? That's it. A charity to help survivors of um, trafficking and and those sorts of things. She can describe it better. I hope so. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> Hi. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for letting me come on and talk about this crazy stuff. We are happy to have you. Um, let's talk about you. All right. The thing that is that I always want to tell people about your story um, is to give them context of the religion that you were in when you were preyed upon by this cult leader guy. Because for I think for a lot of people who don't know about how cults work or don't understand religion or Mormonism or, or the, those fundamental beliefs, they think that you just met a guy and you were like, I'm going to believe in this guy. He seems like someone I should believe in and then just went with it because um, you were in love with him or whatever. These like stupid myths that are not true. So for me, the important place to start here is that you were Mormon. You were a very devout, regular Mormon, no cultiness, well, depending on who you ask about Mormonism as a religion, <laughs> and you had these belief systems ingrained in your psyche. So do you want to tell me about that? Right. I converted to Mormonism when I was a teenager. I would read the Book of Mormon in my bed under the covers with a flashlight. There was 
strict rules against me um, investigating the church which in my house. Ha- which happened because of missionaries, right? Right, because missionaries came over and they were having a big influence on me. My parents thought they were losing me to a cult, so they, you know, didn't want that and, and said no. What was drawing you towards it? Interesting question. I was bullied when I was a child. I was rejected by my peers. My, I mean, my grandfather was a Methodist minister, and I always wondered, why don't we ever go to church? So it was sort of like a job to him, and I craved more. Mm-hmm. I craved a sense of meaning because I wasn't getting it from being in some popular clique or something, and I... I started looking for religion in high school, and I found one. I was baptized on my 18th birthday because my parents would not allow me to join the church. So the day that I turned 18, I drove to a lake where I met the missionaries and a few members of the church, and I got baptized in the freezing cold month of April in Michigan. I totally forgot that. I just assumed it was an indoor baptismal font. You must have been very dedicated. Thank you. That is a wild 18th birthday. For real. <laughs> yeah. And that was so rebellious. Opposite of my 18th birthday. <laughs> no, that is rebellious. That was so rebellious, you know. For at, at any rate, it made me very happy. It was the happiest I had ever been. I ended up going to Brigham Young University. I went and became a missionary. I broke records on my mission. I came off my mission to a man who'd been waiting for me, which is the father of Lola. (laughs) (laughs) And we were married three and a half weeks later. As soon as I got off my mission, we were married. And we lived the good, devout LDS life. And you believed it 100%. Right. I believed it so much. I would say, for me, it's not even a matter of faith anymore. I have a true knowledge that this is the truth. Right. I knew it beyond the shadow of a doubt. As they all do. Yeah. Well, right. not all of them. Mm-hmm. But so the the interesting thing for me and what I remember from my childhood is uh, seeing meaning in seeing religious meaning or like divine meaning in coincidences and and dreams you you and dad were married kind of because of a dream weren't you that's true i had a dream when i was on my mission and i thought it indicated who i was to marry and we were walking over some rocks on a pier and this man reached his hand out and helped me cross this scary part and and when i got off my mission i didn't think that my husband the man I ended up marrying, I didn't think he was the one. But when we went on this walk on the pier and he reached his hand, you know, it reminded me of that dream. And and it was a sign. It was a sign. And, and there were many signs to me. When I was a missionary, I prayed about where to go to find people that were looking for the message that I was going to share. And I would get like... I called it spiritual radar and just kind of find the house based on intuition. And a remarkable number of times when we would knock on that door, there would be somebody who said, hey, I was just praying that, you know, that God would show me the truth and mm. you showed up. I mean, things like that happened over and over and over and over when I was in that mindset. 
And I took all that to mean that, you know, there really is a man in the sky who's kind of pulling the puppet strings and helping me know where to go and what to do. And if I'm really in tune, I, you know, I can make miracles happen. Almost Mm -hmm. like if I pray it, uh, it's going to happen unless it's not God's will. Right. So fast forward to you and dad are divorced. Right. We get divorced and I got excommunicated because when I was single, a divorced single mother, I was intimate with uh, a man that I was in love with who was also single. Which is very unusual, I have heard. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was, you know, cast away forever. How did they find out? Well, I was honest and... I felt so guilty about it. Oh, first mistake. Can't be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I confessed. And then when I, you know, saw him again, I sinned again. (laughs) (laughs) Go mom. (laughs) (laughs) Then then it, you know, I mean, he was my boyfriend. And so I became what they called a a habitual offender. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> guilty <laughs> oh my so, gosh then I got excommunicated and that was it no more of that stuff I was going to turn my life back around I ended up um, during the time that I was excommunicated by the way I met Keith Ranieri side note founder of Nexium, the sex yes. cult <laughs> side note and yes he tried to recruit me into his cult you know, we we can get to that later. But I was, you know, stuck because I really loved Mormonism. To be fair, it made me happy. Yeah. It gave me meaning. It, there was mm-hmm. purpose in my life. There was community. I understood why I was on the earth, where I, where I would be going after this life. I had a plan. Everything made sense. I just needed a husband. A new husband, and so <laughs> okay. Now here's the, here's the here's the catch. So, the founder of Mormonism had a vision. Joseph some, Smith. Joseph Smith. Some people call it a dream, depending on which document you're reading. Dreams are believed to be a potential source of God speaking to you. That He can share messages through dreams. Mm. Visions. And I, I, visions. Yeah. <clears throat> right. I prayed about who Mr. Right was since I divorced Mr. Wrong. Who would this man be that I would be with for time and all eternity? And in answer to that dream, that very night, I had a profound dream visiony thing. <laughs> and I saw this man. And I remember his face perfectly because he looked (laughs) like a cross between my ex-boyfriend, David, and Brendan Fraser. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I loved Brendan Fraser back in the day. I was in it, and I still love Brendan Fraser. I was like, thank you, Heavenly Father. (laughs) That's my man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no disagreement here. (laughs) Thanks, God. (laughs) So... Some of my single friends, single women, we would go to 
Mormon single stances, and I told them what my Mr. Right looked like, so they would be on the lookout, and my girlfriend had a dream that her Mr. Right, she would meet him, and he would be wearing a baseball cap. So we were both looking, you know, using these signs to try to find you know, information about the other one's possible mate. So I go, so I moved to Utah. I I had a lot going on. I was succeeding. I had a project that got funded when I lived in California and I was so excited about it and it required me to move to Utah. And my very first Mormon singles dance that I went to after moving to Utah was at Wheeler Farm, and as I'm looking out onto the dance floor, who do I see? But Brendan Fraser. man that looked like a cross between my ex-boyfriend David and Brendan Fraser. So here's the important question. What kind of dancing are you looking at while you're lo- <laughs> like, are they, what, what are they doing? Oh, well, it would be uh, the Dougie. <laughs> are they grind dancing? Are they? Oh no! Very, very wholesome dancing, even wholesome music. But it was pop music or dance music. When, at Mormon dances, you have to keep. Is this true of adults too? You have to keep a Bible and a Book of Mormon space between you. Oh, okay, that's very specific. <laughs> All right, so you're not too saucy. So you see this guy <laughs> dancing with the Mormon book space between them and no else. he was dancing with elderly ladies oh, oh classic charmer okay. yeah the, you know he wasn't dancing with all the hot girls he was dancing with you know the 83 year old oh, women okay. and I and I went look there he is and he's doing something that I approve of and it, he's so awesome what kind of a man would go for the elderly women to make <laughs> sure they feel good especially when he's you know handsome and I, I just thought oh my goodness and, and I thought it was proof that there really was a God because he gave me the dream and it manifest mm. in the flesh Yeah. so because of that he had a lot more power and influence over me than if I had just met somebody I totally get yeah. that totally get you that. know I, I, I thought there was meaning to this and it was eternal and yeah, I mean, you think God literally gave you a sign about this person. Like, right. of course, there's meaning there that there wouldn't be. Right. And then I happen to be a Book of Mormon fanatic. I even wrote a book about the Book of Mormon. I read the Book of Mormon nonstop, you know, dozens of times from cover to cover. So the Book of Mormon has... Another part to it, this is what all Mormons believe, that there's a part when Joseph Smith originally translated the gold plates, which is where the Book of Mormon came from, you know, the Mormons believe. And I'm going to translate it as in quotation marks here because he translated them from an angel who nobody ever saw um, in a hat that hmm. <laughs> the angel wasn't was in magic. the hat. No, the angel wasn't in the hat, but the angel <laughs> provided him the hat or something. <laughs> anyway, it came from a fucking angel, um, and he did it in a hat. And this is the translation that's going on here. This is not coming from like a physical text that exists. Yes, Lola and her mother are using quotation marks, which you guys can't see. But <laughs> okay, so supposedly, <laughs> supposedly there were gold plates because gold does not rust. And if you look in, you know archaeological museums or whatever, you can find 
that they did actually used to keep records by engraving them on metal plates. Mm. All right, so these were the gold plates. They weren't dinner dishes, which would be pretty awesome, but it was like (laughs) leafs, you know, like book leafs. So I believe that Joseph Smith translated these ancient words and... That's what became the Book of Mormon, which I loved, and it inspired me, and it inspired, you know, millions of people. Well, there is a belief right from the Book of Mormon that when Joseph Smith translated these plates, he did not translate them all. There was a part that was left sealed until the last days, right before the second coming of Christ, that in the last days, one mighty and strong would would appear and oh, that's not setting up anything for trouble. No, not at all. No, no, <laughs> totally. And who? And and those gold plates would come back on the scene. Enter the man from my dream, not the man of my dreams, but the man from my dream. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Keep in mind, this man is not somebody that I would have ever been interested in. Not my type. Sort of a loser in life. You know, I mean. That's true. I, I remember when mom was single and I was a kid, she was dating hella millionaires. <laughs> Interesting. And so when I started, when I met him though, because of this, you know, this um, magical thing around meeting him, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to sleep with me, but I wouldn't because I'd already went down that road. I was excommunicated. I made my way back. I paid the price. It was like psychologically abusive to go through the repentance process mm. and make it back where you can be rebaptized. And I made it and I was like overjoyed and I thought, wow, I'm one of the few people that made it back. Mostly when people are excommunicated, they just, you know, move on with life. But I loved my church. I loved my Book of Mormon. And here was this man. He was an atheist. He presented me as an atheist at first. And I wasn't interested in him. He was trying hardcore to get me to sleep with him or to get me to be interested in him. But I wasn't interested. So he changed his plan. And one night, he he says, you know, I'm actually not an atheist. We, I mean, we would go back and forth. I was trying to get him to stop being an atheist because he once was a Mormon. So now we have an ex-Mormon, anti-Mormon, in my opinion, sociopath. Uh, who, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't know it at the time. And I'm trying to restore his faith. I thought, Heavenly Father gave me this challenge. This is my future husband, and I need to bring him back to the fold. In the meantime, he's trying to pull me out of the church, so I'll sleep with him. Oh, my goodness. Okay? So we have a battle going on, and he couldn't do it. He later told me that I was the first woman in his life whose faith he could not break. So... He changes his story, and suddenly he says, "I," he says, "Christine, I have to tell you the truth. I'm really not an atheist. It was a test. It was just a test to see if I could break your faith, like every other woman. And because I could not break your faith, I am allowed to tell you the truth. I have translated the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon mm. in preparation for the second coming of Christ." 
And by the way, tests are a huge thing in Mormonism. Yeah. Right. Tests from God, like, is proving your, your worthiness, proving your righteousness. Yeah. Right. And I didn't believe in him overnight, and there were other believers, more than three, by the way. She only interacted with three. But, I guess my experience of it was right. three. Yeah. Right. But there were more. But nonetheless, it was a small, it was small, a small group. But so I get sucked in and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is the new Joseph Smith. That must make me the new Emma, Mm. his wife, you know, I mean, because this man wanted to take me as his wife. So here we've got the new prophet. He even sent me eight chapters of the translation of these new sealed portion scriptures, and it felt no different to me than when I believed in the Book of Mormon the first time. It was a big leap of faith to go from only believing the Bible to believing the Book of Mormon as a teenager, so it just didn't seem that weird that the sealed portion would be coming forward. It was all a leap of faith, which is ironic because after all this was done, one of the criticisms that I had from people who are devout Mormons was, how could you ever have fallen for that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I, I felt from the people who <laughs> baptize ghosts. You can believe in the Book of Mormon, but in, in the Book of Mormon, it says in the last days, the sealed portion will come forward. Right. It's right there. But, but yeah. you know, you know it, I should have known better somehow. So, at any rate, what happened is he tells me that we need to meet in Las Vegas. I am to tell no one that we are to meet. He is a prophet. He tells me that I had that dream because I was sent to him to be his helpmeet in translating this old portion and that I'd pass all these tests and I was going to be the prophet of the wife. I mean, the wife of the prophet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a much cooler title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow and so, that's what I secretly wish the, the, the other title no um, so I thought wow that's what happens when you stick it out and you get rebaptized you know you get you know I felt like being rebaptized all my sins had been washed away and now all these manifestations and miracles are happening in my head and okay one step at a time I start really believing in him And then I find myself in Las Vegas about to get married to this man, not legally married. He said it would be like the prophets of old, like Malachi took Anna. I mean, once you knew a person, which means had sex with them, you know, in the Bible, it would say, and he knew her, yeah. right? Okay, so that was going to start be- using that term to describe my Did love you life. Know him? <laughs> we totally knew each other last night. <laughs> and so I sat there thinking it out, thinking I saw him in a dream. Oh, that would fuck me. I mean, I don't know if we can say that word, but that would screw me up hardcore if I saw him in a dream. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I saw him in a dream. I, I, I got rebaptized. The sealed portion chapters seemed the sa- of the same spirit as the Book of Mormon. And I look him in the eyes and I say, promise me you're not deceiving me just so you can sleep with me. 
And he said, I wish I was deceiving you. My calling has been so difficult and so lonely. Oh, my dear Christine, how I wish that this, that I didn't have this yoke upon me. And he went on and on about, (laughs) okay. And then I knew him. (laughs) 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 Yep. So here I'm thinking I'm his wife now. And I said, that's it. You know, there's no like ceremony. And he was like, that was the ceremony. (laughs) Okay. So he lets me think I am his eternal wife and the prophets help me and that I would be helping to restore polygamy to the world even. And early Mormons believed in polygamy and then they abolished it when the government said that they couldn't do it anymore. Right. Now, guess what? Now I'm in a pickle because if he's not a prophet, I just slept with somebody that I wasn't married to and I would get excommunicated again and I would never be able to get back into the church. Yeah. So now my critical thinking switched a, a million little switches switched off so that I could see everything that supported the fact that he really was a prophet because this was the double bind that I was in. If he was a prophet, then I was on the right path and I would be going to the celestial kingdom, the highest kingdom where I could be with my children forever. If he was not a prophet and I just slept with him, I would certainly lose my soul. So I was invested in him being a prophet. Now, in fundamental Mormon beliefs, a prophet is not allowed to lead you astray. That the Lord will kill them, take their lives before they let you lead them astray. Before he will allow them to lead you astray. So this is a failsafe for prophets. Because they can lead you astray, but you think they can't. Mm, And they're like, I'm not dead, so I'm not lying. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I'm telling you the truth here. So I follow my prophet's words. Now keep in mind, I'm not in love with this guy, but I'm honored because, you know, I am the wife of the prophet. I am the secret wife of the prophet. Well, then I have to start sacrificing because the prophet's wife has to prove that she's more worthy than anybody else. So she has to make bigger sacrifices. So first comes the money, then comes the dispossession of all the things that I cherished. And of course, the money from that also went to him. He said it went into a fund to help the poor and needy. I thought I was, and you did too. I mean, we were. Yeah. So I, I feel like we, uh, I, I will now talk about how I came to. Yes. In, in <laughs> we've been, what we are we call calling Adam, him? Adam, Adam. No, 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 no. I want to call him something douchier. I like Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Chad. Uh, I am 12, 12, right. Um, and I meet this guy and 
I actually, I'm like, I'm so hazy now on how I true on how I felt about him. But I feel like I didn't like him at first, and then he bought me snacks, and then I liked him, which is how you win me. It's a classic theme in my life. You were impressed with the food snacks. I was impressed with, well, Gushers specifically. Right, right. That's what it was. Um, and But I didn't know much about him. I just knew my mom was spending more time with him. And she had, you know, she was dating guys. She was very well liked among the fellas. So I don't think I thought anything particularly unusual was happening. Um, and one day I was snooping around. Hacking. Her computer. Hacking. hacking. <laughs> I was not hacking. Yes, I was you just were. in your computer. She was hacking. Um, she- I was being a snoop. I wanted to see what was what was going on in mom's life. And I found these letters that he had written to her. And and I wish I could remember specifically what they said, but basically saying like what God wants her to do and, and basically implying that he is her prophet. And I'm twelve and I'm Mormon and um, I don't know what any of this means. I just think, oh, wow, Chad's a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so then I believed in him, and um, he found out that I believed in him, and so then I was in on it too. <clears throat> and he had me make—I was starting to make a, a website. I believe it was an Angel Fire website yes. for um, his— f- non-existent charity that he had made up where all the money from the things my mom sold was going to. And this was, this is going to be called angel fire. Is that? <laughs> no, no. Oh. <laughs> Do you know what angel no. fire is? Oh my God. Where Are were you, you really in 1999? <laughs> she was very savvy. Very tech savvy for a little girl. Angel fire was like, um, like the early internet version of like, uh, what's a website WordPress? template? Yeah. Like WordPress Wait, or okay, something. Okay. Okay. It was real dorky. They were like lots of like cyber doll websites and lots of fan sites on Angel Fire. Okay. Wow, you were not cool in the early 2000s. <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> it was a really dorky way to make a website. Um, and I started making a website for his stupid non-existent charity. Well, I wasn't allowed to have computers or. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, you know. Too bad. <laughs> so you're like N too. I'm in, yeah. And she's volunteering. Shit. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that I'm chosen too because that's – I'm 12. Um, and how cool did I feel thinking that like I was helping usher in the, the last days, the, the uh, second coming of Jesus Christ. Like, oh my goodness, I'm such a special girl. There's nobody else who knows about this except for – me and my mom. And he told me the reason I was so special was because I had her. Mm. She was the real ju- mm. juice here. And she sang to him, and he was like, she's going to be a star and everything else. So, okay. Crazy note. Um, yeah. And then, well, so the yard sale. Right. We sold stuff to, for the, to help the poor and needy to go into this fund and then he told me i needed to be separated from my children because being the prophet's wife helping with the translation would put me in a very dangerous situation and for their own safety my children needed for uh, a time being to be away from me and i needed to go and live among the poor and needy so i ended up in a resident hotel the children ended up in different places, you know, like the boys went to their fathers and she went to a friend of, of I stayed at a, the house of a family from nearby. Church. Yeah. yeah. And I 
I was quite a sheltered person growing up, even though we weren't religious. I had a very strict father as well and came from a small town. Then I got married and lived the Mormon life. Never, I was not sophisticated. So now I'm living in a resident hotel in downtown Salt Lake, which is a place where people go when they first get out of prison. Okay, so there were 80 occupants, and 78 of them were men, or 77. Then there was a woman who was in a wheelchair and a woman who was like 87, and then there was me. So I was, at that time, I had been doing um, pageants and staying in shape and running my business, and but I was like a lamb in a slaughter. So once my money ran out, the prophet decides that I need to pass some new tests. I need to descend below all things because I was too proud. And how dare I think positive things about myself? I needed to be humbled, and the word that he used in writing was that I needed to be abased before men. Do you know, do you know the word abased? Mm-hmm. Okay. So one step at a time, and I'll spare you the gory details, but I'm in this scary place. I'm, I'm being raped. I was robbed a couple of times, I was uh, beaten. I was I was physically harmed to the point where I needed to get medical attention. And I was told that there were three men who were watching me at all times. And if I ever left and did not come back, then my, I would run the risk of losing my life. Never being with my children again, he threatened their eternity. And so I'm in this situation. I'm not allowed to tell anybody. I'm not allowed to get therapy because I can't tell anybody that these are the, that I need to be purged in such a violent manner. And I'm saying, surely he can't, you know, he can't, know what's going on. I I need to tell him what's going on. He wouldn't allow me to be here. In fact, he wrote me letters. He wrote me a letter after I described some of the heartache and suffering that I was going through. And he said, oh, my dear sister, oh, my heart cries for you. I wish the mountains would fall down upon and bury the men that are hurting you. And, you know, being very colorful in how upset he is that I'm being harmed. And and who are my children anyway? You know, what? Because he wanted all things that brought me joy to be out of my life. My, and my children were my life. I was even young mother of the year at one point. And the business that I had that took me to Utah revolved all around family enrichment. My life was about my children. So he wanted my children away from me so that I could dedicate everything to him. And, you know, I I think he was jealous of my children, but this is a man who couldn't stick to one thought for a long time. 
And what happened is he's, I started becoming um, sexually exploited. And he was, he was the beneficiary. Now, keep in mind, I never had, I never took money for sex. I never was paid. I never handled any transactions. They call it human trafficking. Okay. And he had, he ended up in prison, in jail for something else. So he had other people handling me. And then I get a revelation from jail. One of the believers, um, I'll call her sister, um, I'll call Jackie. her sister. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sister Debbie. Debbie. Okay, okay, okay. Sister Is Jackie, Deb- someone. Okay, anyway, Debbie. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. So, sister Debbie, um, I thought was an elderly lady. I had always heard about sister Debbie's going to help with this and help with that. And he, I get this revelation sent to me that says that Chad would be marrying legally marrying sister Debbie. And that I needed to be, I needed to continue serving in the manner that was required to provide financial support because of the many men that desired me. That my job was to provide this financial support and service to Chad and his new wife, Debbie. And that if I obeyed all of his commandments, then I would be a mother in heaven. So now... I was demoted from first wife to slave wife. And in the same revelation, Sister Debbie was promised that they would have children together, that they would be known throughout the world for their love for one another, but I had to remain a secret. So at this point, you know, I'm so damaged. I'm, I have layers and layers of trauma. I'm so confused, but my brain does not want to believe that my prophet had anything to do with the harm that was befalling me. I write letters to him and to Sister Debbie just to make sure that they know that my life was hanging by a thread. I thought about killing myself every single hour. I thought there was no other way out, and then I... Then he blew out the last candle flicker of hope that I had with his influence and power over me. He was my ecclesiastical power. He was like the Pope to me, even beyond the Pope, because I believed he, a prophet, all Mormons believe their prophets speak directly to God. He is the one that put me in that situation. He's the one that should have known and is not getting me out of that situation. He said, you are exactly where you need to be. And he said, if you are not happy serving in the way you, that you have been asked to serve, then all your sacrifices have been in vain. And that was it. So now I'm going to hell anyway. I went, I passed all these tests. I'm going to hell anyway. My money's gone. My dreams are gone. I had a big project that God funded gone. Um, my children are gone. Um, my certain precious things I parted with because of him. 
And I had a wedding dress for when I did find Mr. Right that I would never marry, that I would never wear. I had to sell that. I had a dress I designed myself that I wore in, in pageants that was just amazing. And I had to sell that. I had to sell things that I was attached to. And I was left there with nothing. He took every last thing that a woman holds near and dear to her heart. There was nothing left for me to do but die. So, <laughs> meanwhile, I'm living with this family from church who has no idea what's going on. I don't, do, do you remember what we told them about why I was there? I don't remember what we told them. Um, but they just knew I wasn't living with my mom. And I am talking to my mom on the phone periodically, but I don't know exactly what's going on. But I just hear that it's like not good over there. Something is going on. She's not having a good time. Um, but I think like, okay, it's just a test. She, she, God is just testing her. God tests people. That's what he does. When you're chosen, You you know, he's going to test you and make your life really, really hard so that you can experience all the glories of heaven. Um, and I was like lonely and sad without my mom, but I just would comfort myself by saying, well, I'm chosen by God. So the second coming is coming soon. Jesus is going to come soon. And then everything's going to be amazing. Like I am chosen. I am so special. These kids at school might not, you know, like me that much, or <laughs> I might not have any friends, but they'll see one day when they see that I was the kid who ushered in the second coming of Christ. <laughs> I love that Weird Al song where he's like, and I'll be laughing my head off when you're burning in hell. Amish paradise. Weird Al was one of my favorite artists at this time, side note. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I visited her once, and it was so depressing and scary the bathroom we had to go to the bathroom in the hallway there were these like all these like scary men there there were like stalkers throwing like trying to barge in we had to call the cops one night because this man was um trying to force his way in anyway it was just a really scary situation and my mom is this even at that age i i was aware that like my mom exuded this um this youthfulness and this like innocence and I like it was just so scary to see her in this place but I thought that that was God's will and that was God testing her and that was what needed to happen so that we could help Jesus come back in retrospect not sure how they were supposed to be related (laughs) (laughs) Um, made sense at the time (laughs) so what um, the prophet would send men from prison to come and be served by me when they got out of prison Oh. Okay, I had a job to do. And one man who came ended up crying. I showed him pictures of my children and I showed him, you know, what my prior dreams were before I got involved in the work. And he just started crying. I mean, this is an ex con, right? He's crying. He's bawling, sobbing, convulsing, tears. And I didn't understand why. I mean, he laid his head on my lap and was bawling like a baby. And he left. And I was terrified because I was so on the verge of killing myself Mm. that I was relieved when someone was there because I knew I would at least make it through the next hour if somebody was with me. And I did make a couple of attempts towards 
suicide. And I wrote to Miss Debbie, Sister Debbie, and I said, please, if you and, and Chad are, sometimes I wonder if you're deceiving me just for entertainment or money, you know, please tell me the truth. My life is hanging by a thread. And, you know, woman to woman, women expect other women to symbiotically care for one another Mm. or to, you know, step in if they see another woman being harmed. And that's what I expected. And she wrote back and said, oh, we would never deceive you, not for money, not for entertainment or any other purpose. I can't even imagine the horrible experiences that you must have had with people to even assume such a thing. She's the Sheila. You haven't seen Wild Wild Country, so you don't know what that means. I have seen it. And oh, she you have is. seen Wild Wild Country. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, she, we would never do that to you. Yeah. There were other believers. I reached out to them, you know, by email. I was crying out. I even reached out during this time to Keith Ranieri from Nexium. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. You know, and <laughs> was quoted in an article talking about her cult leader. <laughs> right. For a while, it was the battle of the cult leaders. You know, was I going to go with Keith or was I going to go with Chad? And they both knew about each other. And anyway, so, um, my Nexium story is amazing too, but that's a story for another day. So, so this guy starts crying and he leaves. And then I was afraid. And then I was alone again, and I, and I remember I would lay on my little cot in this room that was like a cell, and it was so hot, like being in an attic, because there was no air conditioning, and there were cockroaches. I went, don't picture this like a hotel room. I'm laying there, and I can't even feel my body. It just felt like wood. I, I mean, my, my trauma was really seriously deep. And in the afternoon, he comes back, and he brings Sister Debbie with him, who happens to not be an old lady, by the way. He brings Sister Debbie with him, and they come in, and and they confess. Chad is not a prophet. We're not believers. They they pretended they were believers. Mm. Okay. Uh. Chad is an atheist. We're atheists. We're sorry we helped him deceive you and exploit you. But he told us that if we told you the truth that you would die. And this person who, this young man, his name was Jeff, was a hero. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would have died within the week. Mm-hmm. It had he not come clean. What What is that like when, I mean, can your brain process it immediately or how long oh, does it take? Thank you for asking that question. I remember collapsing to the floor on my knees, you know, leaning forward, rocking back and forth and watching my life pass before my eyes. Mm. Thinking that everything that I had gone through, everything that I had lost Everything that I had almost lost, including my life, was in vain. Uh. It was for someone's sadistic entertainment and to get money for his fiance to go shopping. I remember wailing on that floor when they're in there, wailing, just wailing. Mm. And I said to her, I screamed. 
you know. I begged you for the truth, you know. Her response was, I thought you would die if I told you the truth. And that's kind of a hard thing for me to buy because I was about to die from suicide, mm, yeah. if not from one of the men. And she knew that. I mean, you were writing she, them and saying, like, why is this happening to me? Why would God want these horrible things? Like, she fucking knew. Mm-hmm. She did know. She was an accomplice, full-blown accomplice. Mm-hmm. She was a Sheila. And then Jeff was a hero. And he couldn't, he would have come back sooner, but he had to drag her there. Mm-hmm. She even came to the hotel and picked up money, mm. you know. So I'm a trafficking victim at the hands of an atheist using my religious beliefs to open the door, to get me to trust, to get me into a situation where I am then out of control. I mean, he did it. Seamlessly. He did. Afterwards, I, I, I needed, I, pro- I should have been in a hospital, you know, like a retreat, rehab or something. I was in so much distress. The, I, I made a police report and the police did not even offer me a victim's advocate. Because they said, well, it was a fraud, but you believed him. (sighs) So awful. And, you know, now they understand things better. They wouldn't respond like that now. But I ended up getting therapy, getting diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and dealing dealing with it for years and years. And then I went on a mission, a different kind of mission, a mission of my own, to discover what happened to my brain. How did I go from being a, an entrepreneur, uh, a published author, young mother of the year, uh, a respected and smart, I thought, person in my community to being the lowliest of the low with nothing left? Even my hopes and dreams were gone. But when I recovered my children, that was the redeeming factor. When, when all this happened and I realized that all this was in vain and it was, I mean, the level of cruelty was just world record to me. Yeah. Did you confront him? Were you able to get at least that? I did it in writing. Mm. I did it in writing and sent it to him in, in jail. So, and I put all this evidence in and at any rate, But what I learned, it took me about a decade, what I learned is that I needed to stop blaming myself. I blamed myself for years because everybody else did too. Mm. And I thought I had something seriously wrong with my brain. I really thought that I had a mental illness, that I could have fallen for that. And I tried to get tested to see what is my brain damage, what is wrong with me that I fell for that. And it wasn't until I got therapy from a cult expert named Steve Hassan, and I read his book, that I realized that people fall into these groups. They get attracted into these groups. Um, I mean, thousands and thousands of people were in 
situations like me. It wasn't just me. I thought nobody else would ever fall for this. Nobody would have something like this happen to them. But now that I'm in the world of helping cult survivors, dozens, hundreds, thousands of women have been sexually exploited by their cult leaders. And nobody joins a cult. People get involved in movements that they sincerely believe are true, are going to make a difference in the world. And the same with Allison Mack. Mm-hmm. I err on the side of compassion for Allison Mack because there is a process by which people um, get influence. It's called undue influence because, you know, the person that has so much power, access to God, who can, who can argue with that? Who can argue with the smartest man in the world? It's never the woman that's right, mm. you know, or, or the follower. It's always the leader. It's, he always has some sort of way to get information that nobody can question. Mm-hmm. So the unquestionable um, guru takes advantage of that power and step by step creates one sacrifice after another after another until you're so invested you don't want to believe that this person is evil, that this is in vain. Yeah. You know? So when I learned it was all false, although it was traumatic, suddenly things made sense. Mm. Suddenly I knew I could round up my children. And I knew it wasn't God telling me I wasn't worthy to raise my beautiful, incredible children. Mm. It was, it was, you know, dare I say it, I mean, I, I've often wondered if he's a psychopath. I oh, mean, he's obviously a psychopath. Sure. Like, why is there even a question? I mean, for sure. I mean, let, sure. I am not his medical professional. I cannot legally, technically diagnose him with sociopathy. It is my strong opinion <laughs> that he's a psychopath. I do not believe he's a person who has exhibited empathetic qualities personally. This seems like a good time to add in a disclaimer about Chad's perspective here. Okay, it's been a roller coaster. In an interview with the with the Utah newspaper in 2007, Chad told a reporter that my mom projected divine status onto him and she convinced herself that he was a prophet and he just ran with it. He said that she volunteered the money for him. Um, in the same article, he did admit, though, to deceiving her religiously and playing on her religious beliefs and he said he was sorry about doing that. And then later... He said that he actually had to tell the reporter that he made the sealed portion up for legal reasons, but he he really did translate it from an angel, and he really was a prophet. But still claimed that my mom was making up her part and presumably was saying that all the emails she had from him were forged, I guess. Um, and then in a 2017 podcast, he flip-flopped again and said, JK, he really did make the sealed portion up. It was all a lie to get people to stop believing in the Book of Mormon. And now his platform has moved on to more political-oriented beliefs. But at every stage, he's maintained that my mom is just a vengeful ex-lover. Though, of course, a handful of other ex-followers have spoken out about him, including men. And I imagine there will be more to come. But so if Chad has anything to add to this conversation, we invite him to submit a statement in response to this episode. We will verbally state it on the episode um <laughs> that will be interesting is he still is he still working the working his program oh as a matter of fact he 
just last week, speaking of cult news, was found guilty of fraud and racketeering. No. For the very <laughs> same stuff. Not Chad. No. <laughs> Shocking. No. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, when you hear your story, it sounds like there's, it's just this isolated incident that he just decided to prey on this poor woman. But he preyed on so many people. Including men. he still does it. Including, including men. men. And yeah. he goes after people with money. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the myths about cults. They think that, you know, the public tends to think that only, like, these lost teenagers or, or young adults that have a big hole in their life are looking for something yeah. get attracted to cults and while they might have a special uh, vulnerability everybody is vulnerable because everybody has something they love if you love something that's your vulnerability mm-hmm. if you have a dream for something that's your vulnerability Everybody has vulnerabilities. And if you have a master manipulator, he will hone in on those. So all of those people listening that say, I'm too smart for this. Nobody can get me. You're a sitting duck. Yeah, watch your back, dude. Right, <laughs> right. It might be a chick, too. I mean, you know. yeah, I mean, I know incredibly successful screenwriters who've joined cults. There are, you know, business... I mean, look at the... Look at Nexium. Absolutely. I, I mean, just sitting here thinking about it, a, a bad relationship is almost like joining a cult. Totally. You yeah, can have that same thought. Yeah. You can have a cult of two. Yeah. You can. So, you know, the smartest people in the world, the most beautiful... They're in crazy abusive relationships Absolutely. all the time. Uh, it's about yeah. that having just having that power over somebody. Yeah, exactly. It can happen to everybody. There are dynamics. Now I understand it. You know, now I'm finishing my PhD in psychology, and I understand the pressures of you know social pressure and the power of social proof and influence in small groups and and mm. and critical thinking and and loss aversion. All these crazy things. But that's what happens. It can happen in a relationship of two. It can happen in a family. Mm-hmm. It can happen in a workplace. Yeah. It, there are political cults. There are self-help cults. And if you f- suspect that you're in a cult, you'll, you'll have some signs, you know. They'll try to control your behavior. They'll try to control the information that you're getting or tell you not to go on the internet and read that stuff. Isolation in an abusive relationship. Yeah. If you're in a group that tells you not to read about the group or not to talk to anyone else about the group, you're probably in a cult. If you're dating a guy who says, don't talk to any of my (laughs) ex-girlfriends, you're in a cult. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good, right? These are good signs. And cults attract the best people in the world. Mm. And if you were in one, Consider it a consider it a bad if you are in one. <laughs> consider it a badge of honor that you survived it. You came out and mm, yeah. you have a story to tell. What do you believe in now? Well, I'm not an atheist, Mom. <laughs> I am not. I did not throw out the baby with the bathwater. There was a time when I thought nothing, none of this is true. Mm. Nothing. It's all just fiction. Now. I see a purpose in religion. I mean, I study positive psychology, and one of the factors of happiness is having a spiritual life, having a a religious community. And I think religion gives a purpose and a meaning to lives. And I recommend people have a religion 
just don't let it control you. Mm. Uh, I would want to ask you, in a nutshell, what do you think, what would you say that you learned from this experience? Okay. I learned that I had faulty thinking. I learned that looking for signs and coincidences and then trying to give them godly meaning is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. I learned to believe what I see. Yeah. To, to see things. To know for a fact, to not believe in good feelings, that good feelings are not proof of truth. Right. I learned that somebody can have, this is the biggest thing I learned, that somebody can put on an, an incredible show of goodness, help the poor and needy, let's save the world, let's save the trees, let's save the, the government. It's always a great mission or cause to save the world, but the people behind it with their great mission and cause could be really just donning a costume, and yeah. it's really all about them. Yeah, the bigger that parade is, the bigger that show of all of how great of a heart they have or whatever, the less I trust it. Narcissists are a hell of a drug. Yeah. <laughs> well, they all have to have this mission to attract people. And, yeah. and and quite frankly, a lot of cults do a lot of good too. They're yeah. not 100% bad. So just watch it and don't believe for one minute that because your teacher is teaching great things that he's not also in the back room molesting somebody. Exactly. Exactly. It's that... That's the gray area that I feel like people don't grasp. As There's I did, good and bad, right? In in these groups and in these people, like just because there is good there does not mean that there isn't bad there. Well, exactly. Like even Allison Mack, I think she had a big wake up. I read her pleading, and she, she was like, "Wow, I I thought we were helping people. I thought I was helping Keith help people." I didn't realize all these other things he was doing. And and we'll never know if that's if that's true or not. We'll never know, but like but I think it is important to 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 start changing how we think about people who have been brainwashed. Mm-hmm. Because you like I said, like you 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 create they create a new identity for you that you would never have created for yourself, and you people do things that they would have never believed they're capable of, as you did, mom. Right, and it's traumatic brain manipulation. Right, exactly. Um, I'd like to take this opportunity to make fun of Chad and where he is now. Great. Um, he, <laughs> would you like has, to bear your testimony? <laughs> I'd like to bear my testimony that I know <laughs> that Chad is not a prophet. Um, he has a website that we will not give to you guys because we don't want to. Let's just say um, one of his messages is uh, to end human trafficking oh. within one week. Wow. <laughs> the government just needs to listen to his plan uh-huh. and human trafficking will be over. He's an advocate for victims of human trafficking. Wouldn't you know it? <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? This um, website's wild. Well, if you're, okay, if you come out of a cult or if you know somebody come out, that has come out of a cult, I do recommend you get involved in a support group. And there are some on Facebook, and I run a couple. And I think it's important to take what happened to you and turn it into something positive. Yeah. I mean, that's what you've done. I remember... Um, before you started really talking about it, 
it was such a source of fear for you and it was something that you didn't even want to touch. We couldn't talk about it at all. It was just too big for you. It was too hard. And understandably, what you went through was so traumatic. You know, I think that would be true for anyone. Um, And then once you started reshaping your own narrative and reclaiming your story and like accepting that it had happened and and finding ways to interpret it that that helped your life, um, you got so much better. I have observed you grow so much and and, like heal so much. Um, So don't be afraid of telling your story, guys. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for coming, Wami. Where can they find you on social media? Yeah, I have a my charity's called Voices for Dignity. Ooh, I love that. Voicesfordignity.com. And I'm Christine Marie Katas. K-A-T-A-S on Instagram. So one of the things Megan and I talked about before we started this podcast was that she is kind of susceptible to every cult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Megan. Would you follow this leader? Would you join this group? I'm going to have to go no on this one. Just because I think that he would have... Yeah, he's just... He's not for me. (laughs) No specific Not enough glitz, not enough glamour, (laughs) um, not enough, you know, oneness and (laughs) running around in the woods. Good. Glad we got that covered. Mm. All right. You can find me, Lola, on Instagram at Lola. O-O-H-L-A-L-O-L-A. You can just find me at Megan Granger. M-E-A-G-A-N-G-R-A-I-N-G-E-R. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, we just want you to remember one thing, and that is follow your gut. Watch out for red flags. And never, never ever, ever trust, trust me. me. Bye. Bye.